So Karan, we're 47 episodes in now. I sort of feel like this podcast is coming of age a little bit. What, what do you think? It sure is. We're getting out there a little bit. Today, our episode is Movies That Shaped Our Coming of Age Experiences. Hi, I'm Karan from San Francisco. And this is Alex from Los Angeles. And welcome to Movies That Shaped Us. We are two longtime friends who grew up on opposite ends of the globe with very different backgrounds, but we're both shaped and are still being shaped by the movies we see and love. In each episode, we'll cover a topic around important people, places, events, and moments in our lives, and then explore it through three of our favorite movies. So, coming of age, Karan, how, uh, how mm-hmm. did you approach this topic? This was a fun one, but also kind of an emotional one, kind of going back and watching some of these movies that, you know, meant a lot to me when I was mm-hmm. in, in those sort of stereotypically critical points in my life of the coming of age points. But mm-hmm. I guess in general, to me, like coming of age is sort of a lifelong thing. You know, you mm-hmm. can be coming of age no matter how old you are. So that's sort of how I approached it. But, you know, as always, these are not the best coming of age movies. These are right. personal to us. So for me, these movies sort of define critical moments of coming of age, but also critical aspects of coming of age. Like what was I coming of age off? You know, mm-hmm. so that's sort of how I, I thought about this list. What about you? Yeah, very similar. You know, I don't, like you were saying, also don't believe that coming of age is like a, there's a specific age where that happens. It's more mm-hmm. of like an emotional journey that can happen throughout your entire life. And yeah, there are major milestones for sure, which is what uh, the films that I'm talking about today, I was, yes, there are themes obviously about coming of age and I relate to those themes, but I also were watching them and at times where I was mm-hmm. sort of going through some of those things too in my life. But yeah, it's definitely an emotional journey that you are on. And yeah, it's but it's and it's not necessarily about checking boxes of, OK, now I'm at this stage done. I've come of age like this. It's not a checklist. You continue to grow and change and come of age throughout your entire life because it is that emotional journey. Yeah, I agree. I will say that, yeah, some of my movies were movies that I was watching in that time, but there were some that actually retroactively fit moments that happened way before because uh-huh. I, I hadn't watched anything at that time because, you know, Growing up in India, especially those early years, like it was mostly Bollywood movie watching, you Mm -hmm. know, and those movies tend to be kind of wholesome, you know, family dramas, if you will, and their aspects of coming of age. But I wasn't sort of looking at, oh, here's this like 12 year old boy who's, you know, going through a similar journey as I am. Mm -hmm. I didn't have much of that. And I know we'll get into some of those experiences in your movies. So I didn't, I had to kind of almost relive some of those experiences old when I was in, you know, my thirties and thinking back. So that was sort of interesting. All right. So do you want to share your number three movie that shaped your coming of age experiences? Sure. I'll kick it off. So my number three film is about a boy from 2002. This is directed by Chris and Paul Weitz, co-written by Nick Hornbury based on a novel of his, starring Hugh Grant, Nicholas Holt, and Tony Collette. The IMDb plot summary, Will, who attends single parent meetings to woo women, meets Marcus, a troubled 12-year-old boy. As they become friends, Will learns to be responsible while he helps Marcus with his studies. So this movie for me is we talked about touched on this a bit already that, you know, coming of age is not necessarily a time period. It's an emotional journey that you're on. And for me, this movie represents that. And the Will, who's played by Hugh Grant, is a character, I think, in his late 30s, early 40s, but is still acting completely like a teenager in every possible way. Teenagers are very selfish and he was incredibly selfish. And it's not about being selfish and being alone and being this self-sufficient island. 
it's really about the people finding people that you love and care about and helping them and having them help you is sort of the journey that he goes on. And I saw this movie, not when it came out in 2002, but a couple years later, like three or four years later. So I was out of college. And at that point I was sort of assuming, okay, I'm, you know, I'm done. I came of age now, you know, I get, I'm, I'm a man and I can live my adult life. And, and seeing this movie at the time, I realized, oh, actually no, like you can still grow and change much like Will's character. And I'll get into a lot of more thoughts on the film too, but I'm just curious if you had seen this movie before and what what you think of it. Yeah, I had seen this movie before and remembered it very fondly for its comedic timing, but also its sort of vulnerability. But I hadn't thought of it or watched it ever since. And it mm-hmm. was so fun to go back and watch this movie to me, it like totally holds up. Such a tight screenplay, brilliant performances by really everybody. And yeah, excited to get more into the movie. But yeah, it sort of really hits that nail on the head that, you know, no matter how old you are, you're always growing. And I think what I love about the movie is that it happens in a very organic kind of fashion. Like this mm-hmm. movie doesn't tie things in a in a neat bow. Like he doesn't suddenly become, you know, a quote unquote grown up, you know, right, just like right. that. Like it, they take you on a pretty fun journey. The one thing I would say as a standout this time was that when I, my memory of watching it as a younger person was that, oh, you know, Tony Collette and that whole situation is so annoying. And, and oh. I almost sort of felt like unaware younger person and maybe not so sensitive that all that bit was sort of played for laughs. And Watching it this time, I I felt so sad and sort of deeply moved by what was going on with her just because I have a better understanding of just mental health Mm -hmm. issues and and what have you and putting myself in Nicholas Hulse's shoes of like, what what a sad thing to be enduring as a little kid. But yet he's so interesting and interested and has like these self-developed coping mechanisms while his mom is going through hard times. And that whole bit is just handled so beautifully and so thoughtfully, Mm -hmm. I thought, and holds up. No, definitely. Like the, the suicidal mother and what that's yeah. like. And yeah, that that also was an aspect because I haven't seen this movie in a while, maybe about 10 or so years. Definitely hit me a lot harder than uh, than it did when I initially saw the film, which, you know, we'll, we'll get into this a bit of a teaser for our next highlights of an actor. Uh, where we will be talking about Hugh Grant. And mm-hmm. f- for me, there's, we'll talk about it more then, but it was an actor I never liked, actually. And he always annoyed the hell out of me. And it wasn't until this movie that I think he was mm-hmm. perfectly and captures what, for me, makes him interesting as an actor. And now I love this next phase that he's on now of his career. But I'd have actually avoided watching this movie for a while after it came out and only watched it because of Nick Hornbury, who's the... Mm-hmm. novelist who this story was based on also did the high fidelity novel which is one of my favorite movies too mm-hmm. so that was sort of my way into this watching it you know when i was right after college but i was very surprised that the themes with this movie was was talking about it. and it did resonate with me so you know again i think just to give people a little sense of who this guy is you know it's will who's the main character played by hugh grant his father wrote some really popular sort of cheesy christmas song so he's basically yep. living off of this wealth from his parents. He's has no job, has no career aspirations. He's just taking all this money in and living what, if you were like a 15 year old boy, imagine like the perfect life. And that's what he's living. <laughs> you know, he's the bat Matt bachelor life can dates all these women has all this nice TV and all these, a nice car. Clothes and it's Clothes. a 2000s capsule of fashion. Yes. <laughs> and you know, spiky hair and all of it. He's like the cool guy. Right. He's, right. Exterior from an exterior standpoint, right? Exterior standpoint, and that's what you would imagine if you were 15. Oh, that's what I love. That's an adulthood, right? But then what you realize is he's incredibly lonely and sad, and 
light and is putting on this this sense of armor. It's even in the opening, I think the opening couple lines in the movie, it's like, look, all men are islands. It's good to be alone. It's yeah. good to be self-sufficient. You don't want other people in your life because that's somehow a sign of weakness, which again is something I think as a, as a teenager, you would think that that's what adulthood is when really it's the exact opposite. And what he learns over this course of this film is that. And I think the big, you know, turning point at the at the end of this movie, where the the the, the kid that he meets um, is goes up in the school performance and does this terrible job singing "Killing Me Softly," this this <laughs> Fuji song, and he's basically getting humiliated. Everyone's laughing at him. So then, what Will does is goes up and then takes all the humiliation away from the kid, protects him, but making a fool out of himself. And the whole movie has gone through trying to act like the cool guy who is, you know, always knows what he's doing in every situation. It doesn't want to be made fun of. And now he cares enough about this kid to take all that away, like shield the kid from humiliation by being more ridiculous himself. And that is a, a major moment of growth. And yeah, he doesn't become a, the perfect person, right? Like you said, but I think just seeing that is is like him realizing life is not about being an island. And that's a big thing that I think you don't necessarily learn right when you come of age at those quote unquote typical times of teenage years or going off to college. These are not things you, you typically learn. I think you just have to go a little older to learn that, or at least I did for sure, that it's more important about uh, finding someone that you care about and love. He cared for this child so much so that he humiliated himself. And I think that was a, is a big moment that resonated with me at the time and still does for now too. Yeah, it's a great scene. But like I was saying, even throughout the movie, like when he's celebrating holidays with all these people, mm -hmm. you know, through Marcus, like he, there's a monologue from his, from his own mind, sort of just voiceover saying that this feels kind of good, you know, because normally his holiday ritual is like, you know, going, avoiding, first of all, his dad's cheesy single. Right. <laughs> Number two, renting, uh, I think he rents like Frankenstein or something. like Oh, or some, some non-Christmas movie, right. Non-Christmas yeah, yeah, movie yeah. and watches that alone at home and seems to be totally satisfied. But, you know, this time around, he has other people. And so it's about caring for other people. Also, you know, being vulnerable because that's mm -hmm. what caring for other people and having other people in your life brings right that you have to open up you have to give and you have to put yourself in those vulnerable situations and that's what kind of the movie tracks but but he falls back too, like mm -hmm. the whole Rachel Weisz character you think in a stereotypical movie you would think that by the time he meets her he would be quote-unquote healed from whatever problem he has mm -hmm. but no he sort of does the same thing makes up a story Right. Or doesn't totally lie, but doesn't really correct the, her exactly. either that when right. she assumes that Marcus is actually his son and, mm -hmm. you know, ropes in Marcus on the charade of, of him acting like a son and and it goes terribly wrong. But I think that was important because I think people don't people can change, but it takes a while. It happens bit by bit. And I, I like that the movie handles that pretty deftly. Me too. And I also like that in the film, and I'm assuming this is like the novel too, which I haven't read, they mm -hmm. don't set up a girl, whether it's Rachel Weisz or even Tony Collette, as the quote-unquote prize that he gets at the end. Like he, right. he doesn't become complete his arc by getting another woman in his life. Like right. he completes the arc through what he does for Marcus and then it's self-growth internally right it's self-growth yeah. and realizing that you know men should not be islands actually which I think actually he has uh at the very end of the movie he even comes back and says something like that like life is not an island and it's that personal growth is his own reward it's not like he is with Marcus just to get with Tony Collette or Rachel Vice is like the lesson that he learns he gets it the prize is again a romantic relationship because it's showing that coming of age it's internal growth 
right? That he is going through. And that's that internal emotional journey. And I really do always like that about this movie that it doesn't fall into a typical, mm-hmm. okay, well now he gets the girl at the end because that's the reward or the reason why he's doing it. Yeah, exactly. And then on the performances, like you touched on this a little bit with Hugh. Yeah, I think this movie is, it's a pretty complicated performance, I think. And I was reading later, watching some making of videos that Mm -hmm. Hugh Grant really kind of leaned into this and kind of pursued this project, was involved in the making of it, the writing of the screenplay, etc. Like he really wanted to get out of his sort of, you know, kind of handsome, but bumbling kind of uppity sort of character that he'd played in so many movies, Notting Hill and such which i love him for all of those but <laughs> we'll talk about that more like, in the next <laughs> i know exactly yeah <laughs> but but this one is sort of up leveling where there mm-hmm. are those aspects and you know if you were all smart smart smarmy or just irritating and such i don't think you would root for him and that's right. sort of what hugh grant's secret ve- weapon is has always been that he can be an annoying person or a selfish person like he is in this movie but you still root for him because he's charming he's right that's what Hugh Grant is. He's like, you know, a jar full of charm. Oh, I just made that up. That's quite <laughs> nice, actually. But the person I was totally blown away by, and I remember, you know, f- feeling really good about Nicholas Holtz's performance even mm-hmm. earlier when I watched this movie. But at this time around, I was like, this kid has such a hard thing to do. Like, he has to be adorable, but kind of annoying. But he's very intelligent and smart and perceptive, right. but also very naive and, and also very kind of, you know, childlike and pure-hearted because that's how he was raised by his mother. And he's kind of folksy. And there's so many layers that it, it just wouldn't work, I think, if this performance was not right. Because... It's sort of odd for a grown man and a child pairing to begin with, right? So how do you sell that in a movie? It has to be sold by, yeah, this is kind of a precocious but cute, adorable child who just forces himself literally on this man, (laughs) essentially. Uh And you sort of kind of roll with it as an audience. Like anybody else or any other, if this performance was off even by a centimeter the whole thing would be creepy and weird mm-hmm. and and so there's so much lies in in this performance of course the writing and the direction sure. and such as well but i was just blown away by nicholas holt and it's so good to see what an amazing career he's had since and then yeah nick hornby a big fan of his like whatever he's written pretty much is is amazing but to me just the way high fidelity is to you this is sort of his signature. Oh, to you. Oh, that's cool. Poker writing to me. Always been a big fan of this movie. So it was really fun to go back and check it out. If you want to hear more about us talk about Hugh Grant next week, we'll be back for a Hugh Grant full episode. But in the meantime, let's move on to Quran's choices here. So what do you got for us for number three for your film that shaped your coming of age experience? So my number three is this Bollywood movie called Dil Chata Hai 2001. The title Dil Chata basically translates into what the heart wants or the, what the heart desires, something like that. Directed by Farhan Akhtar, starring Amir Khan, Saif Ali Khan, Akshay Khanna, Dimple Kavari, and a whole bunch of other people. A quick logline on the movie. Three ins- inseparable childhood friends are just out of college. Nothing comes between them until they each fall in love. And their wildly different approaches to relationships creates tension which is pretty accurate, I would say. But I watched this movie with my college buddies when this movie came out. So we were oh, that's sort cool. of... Yeah, Those guys, it was, basically. 
<laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, we were in the prime age for when this movie came out, and, and uh-huh. I'll get into why this movie matters not just to people of that age group, but kind of redefined Bollywood movie making and was oh. such a huge wave in terms of you know storytelling and fashion and sort of showing contemporary modern India, modern relationships, the music, the styling. Like movies didn't look like this over there mm. before this movie, and then everything changed right after. Oh, wow. And, you know, people were wanting to go out and wear clothes and, you know, all of that sort of started to happen as a result of this movie. So it was a huge cultural phenomenon. But on a personal level, yeah, this movie sort of represents that critical time when you're graduating and all you know is school, your friends and mm-hmm. home life and parents and such. Then suddenly you have to sort of grow up and figure out, you know, who are you? What do you want? And how do these relationships that you've been in with friends mature or not mature? And it's sort of a pretty critical, nerve-wracking time. And I definitely went through that with my friends, kind of graduating school and then uh, undergrad, actually. Uh, and then mm-hmm. obviously, you know, leaving the country, that changed everything, right, oh, yeah. in terms of friendships and relationships. And so it's about friendships and relationships, but also like we've been saying with coming of age, it's, it's it always comes back to your own emotional journey and your own growth of what, what do you value? You know, how do you see yourself in your life? So yeah, that's what this movie stands. I, I assume you had not watched or heard this about this movie before. You assume correct. I had yes. not heard of or uh, or seen this. So it'll be interesting, actually. I'd love to hear more as you get into it about before or after in terms of Bollywood films. I, it's, I always find it fascinating when there's like that one film that will come out and sort of change not only the the game when it comes how movies are made but the culture too it sounds like it did both so that that's pretty cool yeah i thought um i thought it was it was okay i personally i it was a it's actually i wish i'd known about the cultural impact before i'd seen it i might have looked at it through that lens of like there wasn't anything like this at at the time in terms of what it was showing because now now that you're saying this i can even see how okay in terms of what the different topics that they're talking about and the yeah, it's a there's some heightened reality, but it's also pretty grounded, honestly, of a lot of the things mm-hmm. that they're kind of going through. And I definitely could relate a lot to the, you know, when you go off to school and you have these these friends and then what now what happens? Are you still going to be as close? You're all going off in different lives. How do your lives do they come back together? How do they come back together? How are you still relating to friends when I mean, one of the characters moves off to Australia and isn't mm-hmm. around anymore with with either of his friends? Like, how do you stay close you know, I also went off to, you know, left Boston and come to California, not not as far away as like Sydney was from from India. But but still, like I, I kind of knew what that was like. So I definitely could relate to a lot of things that were going on. I just wasn't as engaged in, in the story as, as the film went on. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about how this film was like. What was it like? What were the movies like before or how this impacted the culture? I think you kind of touched on that, which is the the heightened reality, but yet keeping it grounded. Because I think mm-hmm. movies before this were, you know, primarily escapes and they were heightened realities. Uh-huh. You could identify with certain aspects, but nothing sort of, you know, stared at you like this, unless it was quote unquote an art film, you know, something uh-huh. that was okay. kind of low budget and kind of made outside of the Bollywood studio system, if you will. Otherwise, movies were meant to be escapes and for as many people as possible right versus Mm -hmm. this is one of those movies where yeah it is heightened reality there are you know dance numbers and it's melodramatic and everything but then it's also you know fairly grounded and people Mm -hmm. are 
you know, dealing with real themes. Uh, so that was one big one. The second big one, I think, was just speaking to this new generation because, you know, this is the internet generation, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, and by then, economically, India had opened its borders for foreign investment and such. So there was a lot of foreign influx of products and, you know, the first wave of kind of multinational companies were coming in and call centers mm. were being set up. And as a result, people were getting more and more exposed to foreign culture. People were traveling more. It just, it was just starting, right? So this movie came right at that time and sort of exploded. Like it was the first movie speaking to that generation that was, you know, going through these, these life changes, if you will. Not that there weren't, you know, movies focused on teens and people graduating before. They were, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I think this was at least for our generation, kind of a kind of a big kind of punch in the face, if you will. And yeah, it, it is about romance and because I mean, all Bollywood movies stereotypically end up being about love and romance. And that, mm-hmm. that's a big part of this movie. But I think that the main relationship of this movie is between the three guys. And right. yep. I think that's also a little bit unusual that the thing that propels the movie, the thing that breaks the movie in its sort of kind of narrative arc is about the friendships. And I think right. that was a little bit unusual as well. And then performance-wise, so Amar Khan, who goes to Australia, he mm. was the biggest star, you know, one of the big stars. He still is, I would say. And he's... I kind of equate him a little bit to the Tom Hanks uh, okay. kind of persona. He started in these kind of, you know, uh, teen movies and fun movies and kind of was a jokester of sorts, but then kind of turned into this really deep actor. And at this point, he's probably the one sort of methody actor, if you will, if that's oh, even okay. a thing. Uh, he was in Lagan, which was Oscar nominated and such. So... For him to be in a movie like this, where he's this kind of, you know, larger than life persona who's kind of annoying and irritating, but also <laughs> charming and right. such. The soul patch does not hold well at <laughs> well, all. That, that like, dated it in a cool oh, way. I was, I was like, like, oh, take nice. that off. Take that. <laughs> I remember the early you know. 2000s. <laughs> oh, <Yeah. laughs> very bad. <laughs> so he's sort of that. But then the other guy who is Sev, who's Samir, who's kind oh, of yes. this sort of bumbling idiot sort of person, but yet as a heart of gold, like he hadn't really had a big movie success until then. And this movie kind of showcased him in as an actor, like somebody who can play this, you know, fairly grounded person. And Akshay, who's the third guy, he also was fairly new on the scene. And he was sort of the position as kind of this mature thinking man's actor, if you will. So there's a good, you know, some there's something for everybody. So that was a big thing as us, you know, as kids or college, not kids, I guess, but college graduates, like going yeah. and watching this movie, everybody was picking who's who. And yeah, oh, I, yeah, of yeah. course, was the thinking person. No soul patch, huh? Yeah, no soul patch. You don't have a soul patch, huh? No, no. No soul patch. No, no. I was not into that even then. But <laughs> so everyone was kind of taking sides oh, of that's who cool. is who in that movie. And I was like, oh, I'm the Sid of this kind of group who's like thinking and is mature. And of course, it's not true, but you know, uh, that's what I believed. <laughs> that That's funny. Actually, as you're talking about all this, I mean, I, I don't know if it's like an exact kind of one-to-one comparison, but it just makes me think a lot of a movie we actually already covered on the podcast for boys in America. I'll just say boys, but American mm-hmm. Pie which came yeah. out in 99 around, around the same time too. I was also right. graduated from high school. Like the kids were in that movie start a lot of careers and it was a lot of similar discussions. Obviously, again, the themes were very, very different. It was more yeah, Americanized. More sexual. Right. Because that's America. That's what yeah. we, 
<laughs> we do it with things. But as, <laughs> as you're talking about this, like, oh, that movie actually came to mind a lot in terms of for my generation on this side of the of the Pacific, a movie that was similar ish in terms of uh, how it defined a lot of moments, yeah. which that's also a coming of age movie, too. So it's I've maybe this is like an Indian American pie in, in a certain way. Yeah, not I and, you know, again, not to compare, but that's no, you're a, right. I never thought of it, but I think there is there are definitely parallels there. And I don't think we'd had a movie like this, like I said before. Mm-hmm. But then I think the truth is that you at least watching it again, I had not watched this movie in, since that time. Oh, really? Was, wow. Yeah, wow. it's been so long. And yeah. it was so ingrained in my consciousness that I remembered so much of this, these songs. I used to sing with my mm-hmm. school or college band and I sang so many of these songs on stage oh, cool. and, you know, won prizes or lost prizes and such. It was so ingrained in my life, you know, this movie that I just then took a break from it. So mm-hmm. it was kind of emotional to watch it again and took me back to all those people and those times and everything the movie of course you know it it doesn't hold up obviously because of you know where we're all at it's it's of very much of that time it's oh, oh uh, right. you know it, it drags quite a bit and and such but there's still some things maybe because i have such a personal connection with and i'm sure, sure people listening to this also do that you can't help like some of those jokes really land on you. They're still evergreen in my mind. Like what Samir says when they're at uh, celebrating Akshay's older woman friend's uh, oh. birthday thing where he says that, you know, we'll go to eat cake anywhere. That's a, a very kind of, you know, cultural zeitgeist line that still I think holds up. Um, so there's many such moments that, that yeah. hold up. Um, and then I think, what I discovered watching the movie this time was that there's a little bit of all of those three in most of us, you know, mm-hmm. coming of age at that time, or I guess maybe any time, which is that there's a rambunctious side of you that has to grow up and take, you know, ownership of your actions and be responsible. Mm-hmm. The There's sort of this romantic, idealistic person who's just falling for whatever, you know, you have to grow up and think about, well, what is being in a relationship and actually loving somebody mean? Mm -hmm. And then the third one, uh, which is that, yeah, you, you're kind of intellectual, but very deeply emotional, but you're also kind of lost, you know, you can't just go to some like remote art community and just live there. I mean, I guess you can, but, but it, you know, there are consequences, like you can't just be a loner, isolated person and, you know, and be okay with loving somebody and and whether or not they love you back or no, like Mm -hmm. there's a lot that comes with it. So I think there's a little bit of everybody, uh, all of those three guys in in us. So I think that was, that struck me. And I think movie does a very good job of, I think of detailing those journeys that those three people have. And, and, and what does that mean for their friendships? Yeah, definitely. The three key archetypes. And, and the, another thing you were mentioning there, too, which is around consequences. And that was a big theme that I got from this film, too, which is that all these, you know, when there were kids or in the beginning of the movie, they sort of were not thinking about consequences of any of the decisions mm-hmm. they were making. And one of the things that as I've come of age, you learn that every action you have has consequences, negative or positive. And unlike when you're a kid who if you make a mess or make a mistake, there's someone to help help you clean it up, or maybe you know your parents will come in and help solve the problem for you. But when when you're an adult, you have to deal with your own the consequences of your own actions, and no one else to do it for you. And I, and I was sort of tracking these three characters through this film and realizing that as they went and learned that, 
that, you know, you can't go back and redo things you did. All you have to do is pick up the pieces and move forward. And what does that mean? I think each one of them was learned that lesson in different ways based on the decisions that they made throughout the film. No, totally. And especially Akash, Amir's character, like he's actually quite rude and mean to his friends throughout at at their expense. And he finally apologizes to even Samir, not just Sid, because there Mm -hmm. he totally bungles things up. But he has this recognition later that, yeah, like you said, you can't just, you know, walk through life without any consequences. Right, right. And they all learn Especially that the people the that you love, apparently. Of course. Right, exactly. Right, right. I think that's something that he doesn't realize in, the, in no. the beginning of the film. And then it takes him a long time to really realize. He has to go through life and then realizing, oh, actually, it made this mistake. And, and part of that is going back and apologizing and trying to. That shows his love, I think, that yeah. he puts the effort into trying to patch that that up instead of just walking away. The other thing that kind of I'd forgotten about this movie was so the girl who's always fawning over Akash, who's oh, kind yeah. of positioned as this kind of, you know, irritating, annoying person. I totally forgotten that she has a scene in Goa on the, at the beach with Sid's character where Sid asks her that, why are you after him? You're beautiful. You're smart. You're intelligent. You can make your own choices. And she's sort of like, well, I want him. And why won't he want me back? You know? I'd forgotten that moment. And I think this is where what you said up front, like there are sort of stereotypical melodramatic heightened reality things, but then they're also kind of grounded real things. I think Mm -hmm. that's what makes this movie pretty special. Also, I have to mention that this is the guy who directed it, who ended up becoming an actor in his own right. Mm. You know, he's a very good actor for an actor. It's his first first movie directing anything, which is... Oh, wow. Kind of amazing. Um, I mean, of course, everybody in this movie comes from a film family, including the people who made it, because that's just how things are. But he mm-hmm. does come from a very talented family of his father is a well-renowned writer. Mother is uh, stepmother is a well-renowned actress and such. So he has a lot of great pedigree behind him. But but that was the other thing, like, you know, to your question of why this movie hit so hard. It was young people like the mm-hmm. guy who directs it is probably younger or the same age as the three leads oh you know? wow wow it's like a young guy directing this movie his producer is also like a young buddy of his and it's just young people making something with of course or a lot of people backing yeah. behind them sure sure families, sure but, but yeah but that does mean something i mean i can imagine it's like that extra textual meaning behind yeah. it. it's like this is a film that speaks to us Exactly. Our generation by our generation, not yeah. for us. It's by us for us instead of just exactly. For us. I could see that yeah. definitely resonating a lot and and understanding why this was such a cultural phenomenon. I guess I should have read the Wikipedia page before I saw this movie <laughs> to understand that because I, I just kind of went in seeing it. But now that I hear everything that you're saying, I can look back and and see that how different that this this movie must have must have felt. Oh yeah, time. exactly. And then personally, you know, watching at that time, there are all these questions that oh, what's going to happen to me? Like, am I going to be the one who moves abroad and Mm. is totally lonely and is going to be, and life is going to suck? Or am I the one who will meet their person of their dreams? Or am I the one who will make something out of uh, a hobby or a deep-rooted passion that I Mm -hmm. have? Like, you know, that's what the movie did, at least for me. And then what does that mean for my friendships? You know, are Mm. they all going to stay or no? I'm sure most people watched this movie at that time had similar kind of questions about life. And so it it hit us at the, at the exact right time. No, it sounds like it. Like you were of the right age for yeah. this movie to hit when it hit. And you were that generation that it spoke to. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Should we move on to your next? 
Sure. So my number two film that shaped my view of coming of age is Empire of the Sun from 1987, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Christian Bale, John Malkovich, Miranda Richardson, and Joe Pantoliano. The plot summary, a young English boy struggles to survive under Japanese occupation of China during World War II. For me, this movie symbolizes a big part of what coming of age has always meant to me, which is going off on your own where your your you know your parents aren't there anymore to do anything for you and they were for your entire life up to that point like whatever age that that is where you either leave home or you know maybe your parents pass away where you no longer have that safety and security of parental support in the same way you're in a bubble essentially as as a child much like uh, Christian Bale's character is Jim who's a very young boy again living in um in China in this neighborhood that's essentially just a part of England, it looks like England because yep. the British colonizers basically created their own version of England. And then after the Japanese invade, he loses all of that, loses his parents and has to survive on his own. And it always struck me, even when I saw this in high school, that that moment was going to come where like you were going to go off on your own and that bubble was going to be burst. And that's sort of like the main theme of the film that resonated for me before I actually did go off on my own. But I was always thinking like, oh, wow, this is going to happen at some point and kind of what that would be like for me. So I'm curious if you've seen this film and then we can get kind of more into it. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I had not seen this movie. There are a few Spielberg movies. I put War Horse in the same bucket that I still mm. haven't seen. So mm -hmm. from like a big Spielberg fan, as we shared on this podcast, it was fun to kind of finally put a check mark against this movie. But yeah, those themes that you're talking about, the movie, you know, does a great job at that. But I have to say that I wasn't a big fan of the movie at large. And I think a lot of that has to do with, I hate to, you know, blame it on a child because uh, Christian Bale is just a child. I didn't, and I didn't like his performance. Oh, really? Uh, you didn't? No. And, or maybe just the characterization. Like, of course, it's a Spielberg, you know, epic movie. So all the other departments are, you know, shining fully, the production design and the cinematography and all of it. But there's something about this central character that maybe I need to watch it again. I just couldn't fully wrap my head around this kid. Just the way maybe he's very self-guided, uh, I suppose. But he's sort of I don't know. I was confused by his characterization, I think. And some of it has to do with the performance as, as well, perhaps. But, you know, is he struggling? Is he not? Is he happy to be on his own or, or not? Or is he sad? Like, there's just so much of that that I just felt was kind of unclear to me. But it's a Spielberg movie, so you still, you know, appreciate it and enjoy it. Yeah, this is his version of like a david lean film like he was right lean's one of his big influences and actually i think at one point he was supposed to make the film oh that would make and then sense it kind of fell apart on financing and then spielberg kind of picked it up and you know lean was like okay cool like you can you can do this but hmm. i mean maybe it's because i related to his character when i yeah, first saw and you the watch film. it at that time exactly i watched yeah. it as a kid i also was in a you know all boys private school with you know, dressed and we had like a dress code like he did in the beginning of the film. So mm. to me, it was like, oh, I can kind of relate to this, this kid in that sense. The movie is a lot of a metaphor about, you know, again, growing up where all of a sudden that bubble just gone. You know, his parents do get he gets separated from them and for a while has to fend for himself, which he doesn't really know how to do. And then he finds people that he thinks are surrogate parents mm -hmm. like John Malkovich is a sort of an American. I don't know what you really like war opportunist who's around right. 
And uh, he thinks, oh, great, this could be my new like older brother or my father figure. But then quickly, you know, Jim finds out that John Malkovich will, you know, get rid of him at any moment and take advantage of, of another kid and use him for his schemes. And it's, he doesn't really like Christian Bale. It's not like parents who will stay around through thick and thin. And that is something, too, that, you know, once you leave the nest, so to speak, right. then you do have to realize like the world is not all about you, which is what your parents kind of can create for you. That sense that everything is fine. Yeah, everything's fine. You're going to be fine. But it's that's not necessarily the case. And I always saw this as a OK, well, again, when I saw it for the first time, I was like, OK, well, this is going to happen at some point. I'm going to have to learn how to do this. And even looking back on this, so seeing this film, it's not like the best Spielberg film. I do think it's middling. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a big hit even at the time. I would not put it in his top 10 or 15, 15 films. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still every time I go back and do see it again, it does put me back in that mindset of remembering what it felt like to kind of mm-hmm. go off on your own and lose that, leave that bubble. You know, I grew up in a suburb with, uh, so I definitely was a suburban bubble I was in for sure. And think this movie does a good job using war as a metaphor, which again is a all about loss of innocence too, which is another, mm-hmm. I think, theme of the film and something that, you know, you know is going to happen at some point in your life when you leave the, leave the nest. And I think they do a good job of weaving those themes in there. And yeah, I, Christian Bale for me works, but again, that's maybe because I, I saw it, you know, when I was younger and I wasn't paying too close of attention to his performance and it's still, it's something I think he does. It's not like the best child actor I've ever seen, but I, I think he definitely can hold the attention of the audience. And he, yeah, definitely he carries the film. He has to, he's he has to almost film, every scene. Yeah. yeah. It's just about him and his journey. Yeah. And it could just be, and I hate to say this because Spielberg is such a master director in general, but also master director for kids. Like some mm-hmm. of my all time favorite kid performances, E.T. and, and right. such, and to go to Fanning and such, they're all AI, Spielberg directed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something about, the screaming and the yelling and sort of a lot of like capital A acting mm. that Christian Bale does in this movie is sort of what just didn't land super well on me. But which is, I don't know, maybe that's what the movie and the script demanded because all of the other kid performances that we've seen from in Spielberg films, they're fairly, I guess, in a grounded, contained world. Well, mm. I guess not so much Dakota Fanning because War of the Worlds is also pretty epic and yeah, you know right, out right. there mm-hmm. but the et performances are all very locked in you know mm-hmm. in this very small world but there's something about this performance maybe it's also because we know Chris, who christian bill is now you know who's right, known who be- for his right. deep immersion and kind of capital a acting so mm-hmm. maybe there's a little bit of that playing with my head too because you can see kind of the beginnings of that but here they're obviously very rough and very pronounced because he's just a kid you know right of course so <laughs> right right he's still uh, learning he's still exactly. learning but yeah, yeah it, it felt very loud and overdone to mm-hmm. me and that sort of took me out and and like i was saying earlier i was unclear of sort of where this kid's character is and maybe that's the point you know i was just trying to relate myself with that if this were to happen with me like i would be a total wreck but then we'll start to figure out okay how do i survive how do i move forward versus this kid I, I I never got the sense that he was, he felt alone. That side of kind of those quieter moments where you would see somebody really struggle through this just never came through to me. Yeah, I, th- I thought the beginning part of the film when when the Japanese invade and then all the British have to leave their sort of faux Britain yeah. town, that he, for, what I always liked about that part of the film was that he was so, even though the 
word come, the Japanese, everything was about to change. He was still in such denial about it because he had been so protected his entire life that he's like, okay, well, this is normal. Like, this will be fine. Like his housekeeper comes. He's like, Hey, can you help me? And obviously she doesn't work for him anymore. And she slaps him in the face. Right. She's like, no, you suck. We're stealing all your, your parents stuff. Like, no, the world has changed. Like get over it. And I, I don't know why, like, I always liked how he's in, he was so protected that even when this whole bubble does burst, it takes him a very long time to actually realize that, okay, that not only is it burst, but that you can never go home again. He can never go back. And and the interesting thing about this character too is, you know, that they're eventually the 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 British uh, put in an internment camp, and then after the war is over, they're supposedly going to go back home to England. But he was the, not even from England. He was born in this faux British town in mm-hmm. Shanghai, so he literally can never go back. Like his his past is completely gone. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that always resonated with me too. And I've seen this film maybe like half a dozen times over my life, and I haven't seen it in about ten years. And since the the Fablemans, which is the Spielberg sort of, I guess, biopic, if, if for mm-hmm. lack of a better word, that he made last year. Like every time I see a Spielberg movie now, I can only view it through that lens. Mm-hmm. And especially that this movie is like so much about divorce and right. losing your parents, that perfect world that that he had had as, as a child oh, yeah. when the parents said, I mean, it's, it's all right there and so obvious, which is not anything I ever would have thought. Uh, you know, my parents were not divorced, so I was not a child of divorce. I was never something in my in my mind. So I never saw it through that angle. But now it's like so blatantly obvious how much he was just channeling his own emotional pain and shock and his trauma from that experience into the Jim character in this film and what the themes are. It's like, no wonder he yeah. made this. It's, a, yeah, it's no, like so always. obvious now. Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, to what you were saying earlier, to me, that's kind of, I, I take it as the opposite. Like if somebody was so protected, how would they have the tools? Like in that whole stampede in the beginning where he gets mm-hmm. separated from his mom, he's like totally unfazed. He's totally fine. And I was like, oh, you're so protected. You lived this so such a privileged life. How are you okay? And that's the part that it, mm. it just, I, I couldn't sort of figure that part out. And maybe it's because... He's this willful child. He's very smart and very interested in sort of, you know, planes and the war and such. And maybe he has those tools, but that's the part that I found very hard to believe. I wish mm. they had shown that, yeah, this kid is very protected, but is actually worldly and has, you know, what it takes to survive because he's unfazed by any of this stuff. Yeah, I think it's he hasn't speaking of like consequences like we were talking about in the last film. I don't think he knows what those are yet. He literally was just thinks everything's still going to be okay. He's never experienced precarity before. He's he never thinks there's no way he could actually be in real danger. It's impossible because he never was. Mm. And there there is they do skip actually in the narrative. There is a flash forward when they get to the internment camp. And then they do cut forward you know, X number of months or or maybe years ahead. And then all of a sudden now he knows everything he's running around. He's got, he knows right. all the jobs. So they do skip that part of, at least on the screen, there is no moment of like realization or they don't focus on, on that, at least on screen. So I think that was a failing of the narrative and sort of seeing that arc, they like cut out a key portion of it. And all of a sudden now, okay, cut to, and now he's this worldly kid who can do all these things and runs right. around and knows everything. And you don't see him learning it. You just see him like denying it. And then all of a sudden now he knows everything. So mm-hmm. that might be what you're, you're picking up on there. There is sort mm-hmm. of like, skipping a part of his journey there mm-hmm. yeah i think i think that nails it exactly yeah and then when you don't have that then i mm-hmm. think the narrative and also all the like i was saying you know spielberg departments you know at full display it sort of felt like 
they're not serving the story, if you will, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they almost are better than the actual story. That's sort of how the movie felt. And maybe that's why it's sort of in that middle order, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it didn't do well at the box office. I think now it's been looked back upon with a little bit of more of a critical critical. Right. I mean, I've, I've always enjoyed it and I've seen it uh, during my Spielberg class in college. I got to see it on the big screen and it definitely mm. you can see the lean influence a lot more when you see it in yeah. a theater than uh, on TV. I will not defend this movie super like I won't go to the mat for it, but it's still for me, you know, really represents a lot of what, in you know, coming of age was was yeah. like for me and especially anticipating what I felt it was going to be like, because yeah. I had seen this when I was like 15 or 15, oh, 16, something yeah. like that. The teams are very strong. There's no question about that. Yeah. OK, so let's move on to your number two. What is your number two film, Kron? All right. So my number two movie that shaped our coming of age experiences is and Education from 2009, directed by Lone Scherfake, starring Carrie Mulligan, Peter Skarsgård, Alfred Molina, Quick Logline from IMDb, a coming-of-age story about a teenage girl in 1960s suburban London and how her life changes with the arrival of a playboy nearly twice her age. So like I was alluding to a little bit in the intro, I did not watch this movie when I was a teenager mm-hmm. <laughs> myself. I watched mm-hmm. this movie in my 30s, kind of when it came out. But it sort of resonated with me on a deep level of two things, I guess. One, as a teenager or somebody in college who's doing well in school and you know had a good home life, friends and everything but sort of had this manifestation of like a, a charmed sort of erudite sort of life mm-hmm. in my head of like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I like went to Europe and lived over there and, and uh-huh. you know, went to museums and had friends who are kind of cultured and in the art world and things like that. And and it's because it's sort of the opposite, like this movie, like my parents were, I, I think, kind of very globally minded and we watched movies from all over the world and had my mom made food from different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So I had a taste of all of that, which made me want it even more. So it wasn't like I was deprived. It was more like I was wanting, you know, more of that. So I think this movie resonated with me on that level of because Carrie Mulligan's character, like she's an A student. She's been groomed to go to Oxford and mm-hmm. her home life is a little bit different, I would say, than mine for sure. Like her parents are not really at the same level as she is versus she has sort of this, you know, side life in her head about being French and going to Paris and things and such. So that's sort of one big theme of this that resonated with me. And the second one is not specifically romantically, but other people who entered my life during college days who were charmers, but Mm -hmm. I don't think they had their head and their heart in the right place. And I Mm. think without getting too personal, they probably took advantage of me and I lost sight of what mattered. And I I lost sight of school and grades and the people that really mattered. And they took me for a ride for a little bit. And Mm -hmm. I think there's some of those aspects of this movie that also resonate with me, which are all about coming of age, right? Like, how do you trust in yourself? You can be all figured out in your own mind as a young adult, but it doesn't mean that you are. And you have to go through some trials and tribulations. Um, So I'm getting ahead of myself. But had you watched this movie or heard of it? I had heard of it, but I had not seen it. I remember the trailers and I know like Carrie Mulligan got a lot of attention for for this role. And it was an, an actress that I had been following for a while. She was on an episode of Doctor Who before this. And I was like, mm. this actress is going to be somebody. And now she has got this amazing career. And I just I guess it, it pictured in my head it being a, like a romance movie. And it isn't. And I, yeah. that surprised me in a good way. Actually, I 
was like, okay, I think I know where this is going. And then there is a, a, a twist in the film and it turns into something that I was not expecting it to be about. And which I, which are, I think a lot of what you're talking about, the sort of the seductiveness of when you're not an adult yet, but you kind of want it because you think there's an idea of your head about what that is and what that means. Yeah. And it's not all that. I mean, it is some of that, but you know, what she learns in this movie and the education that she gets then is it's not what it's cracked up to be. There's a darker side of, of that and a, and a darker side of wanting to rush into that too quickly. And there are consequences to yeah. that and sort of skipping some things that like going to school, which is something her parents are like, you just got to go to school. That's part of what it means to grow up. And she wants to rush right into the living like the high life as like a young adult. And you can't really, or at least what this movie is saying is you can't really do that. There are no shortcuts. You got to go through, through life. And I think that's the lesson she learns the hard way, unfortunately, because she gets bamboozled by um, the, the lead male in this film. Yeah. And then I think the other interesting thing about the movie is because of its time and place, you know, it brings up these good questions about, okay, what is this hullabaloo about getting to Oxford even about? Right. You know, and Carrie Mulligan says at some point that I've had the best months of my life going to amazing restaurants, watching musicians, looking at great art, all mm -hmm. of it. And all you're telling me is that go to Oxford and then after that, what am I supposed to do? Because the options and opportunities for women at that time were fewer and far in right. between. And all the female idols that she has in her life, which is which are her teacher and the headmistress played by Emma Thompson, mm -hmm. to her, they seem kind of limited in their life. And she feels like she's having a much better time. But again, to your point, life is much bigger. It's not just about going to museums and you know having a rich cultured life though that can be a part of it but sure, right it's also about being self-sustained and feeling confidence and fulfillment in what you do do because it's a great scene when Carrie Mulligan visits her teacher's home and she's like oh your place is so nice and mm -hmm. it's an independent apartment where she does the things, the teacher does the thing that she loves and enjoys and right. seems to have peace and, and she's not going to parties. Maybe she is if she mm -hmm. wants to. But mm -hmm. yeah, so I think the movie has lots of different shades to it and it's not hammered on your head. It's sort of, it's very light and organic. Same with the parents too. Like yeah. for the first half of the movie, you kind of look at the parents from her eyes because it's from her point of view who seem to be kind of grating on her and the mom is sort of checked out of sort of typical housewife and mm -hmm. the father is all about, you know, penny pinching, but is very, very keen on her going to Oxford, but mm -hmm. not for any big reason other than just this is your ticket to getting married perhaps right, right, you know right. at some point but then later on as Carrie Mulligan kind of goes through this whole episode with Peter Skarsgård's character who by the way also seduces the parents equally yes yes uh, he's a con yeah he's a con artist he's I mean, a con man exactly yeah, he totally really is good yeah. at him he's literally mm -hmm. a con man actually right actually that's um, right yeah yeah but then you see the parents in a totally different light that they are supportive of her actually they want her to land on her own feet and it's not just about getting a ticket to getting married there's more to it so yeah i guess what i'm saying is that everybody's presented in different lights and it's not what meets the eye just like the movie you yeah thought might be something else and it ended up being something else yeah i mean even as i was watching it you you think again with the parents okay they're overprotective afrolina is controlling they're just telling her what to do and you're like, screw them. Like, yeah, you should mm -hmm. go off and do what you want. Like live this freedom, free life. And you're seeing, like you said, these other women that are, they don't look, they look trapped in these lives. Yeah. And then I was not expecting the movie to sort of like flip that all in its head. By the end, you're like, oh, actually the parents, and especially when she 
goes back to them and sort of realizes what has been going on, they don't punish her. They give her the support in her own failure that they were, they were good enough parents to let her take an action have a mistake and then support her in that mistake instead of blaming her or ref- saying, Oh, you can't go off with this guy. We're putting our foot down. Like, no, actually they, be- they started off as parents. I'm like, these parents are like too controlling. I don't think they're doing a good job. And by the end of the movie, I'm like, wow, Afro Molina, like what an amazing dad and yeah. what you were able to do to, to give uh Carrie Mulligan that support in all these different ways. And, and actually putting her needs first. You think he's yeah. not doing that in the beginning, but then when she expresses desires, he lets her, pursue them even though they end up blowing up in her face and being giant mistakes but he's there to support her and i thought that was just very surprising unexpected like the first 20 minutes i'm like i think i know what this entire movie is and (laughs) by the end of the movie i was like wow like this went off in totally different directions and it makes you think about everything that's kind of you know going on in the film other than i think scars guards is just like a bad guy i don't think they Mm -hmm. give him a lot of sympathy which you shouldn't i think in in this movie though i do find it fascinating there was a there's two characters that are his friends they're also i think they're married couple that are that is friends that you know she ends up joining their friend circle and they kind of pal around and at at the end of the film there's a great scene where she goes back to them and said you knew this was happening you knew he was married you knew what he was doing and you still didn't say anything to me and they're like, well, that's not what we're, that's not my place. You know, like we're still yeah. having a good time. Like that's up to you. Like, you know, you're, if you're doing this, you're doing this. We're not going to judge you or get upset by it. And I thought that also is a lot of the grayness of the adult world too. Mm-hmm. It's not super simple of like right and wrong and good. You, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to, and maybe you're supposed to, but you right. don't usually do it. There's other reasons why you might be like, look, if he wants to keep bringing these young women around, who are we to kind of say to him he can't or to not be friends with her i mean i think they were genuinely friends to her and trying to like you know give her the life that she thought she wanted but i thought that was just a very powerful scene that added some new layer layers even to those characters which are sort of suspicious of yeah in throughout the film exactly and when you do find out what's going on like then you can trace back that domina cooper has these looks mm-hmm. and questions throughout the movie right. which they mean a lot more because they know what's been right. going on. And then I have to say Rosamund Pike as sort of the dim-witted, beautiful blonde friend is yeah. just an amazing. She's very in good movie. in this So yeah. good. Like yeah. just saying, communicating so much with very little about mm-hmm. who this person is that on face on the face of it, you can write her off that, oh, she's just in there for the parties and the money and the beautiful dresses. But there's actually a sadness to her too. Mm-hmm. And she knows actually what her place is and she's probably had this internal conversation that okay i do want this life so this is what i'm going to do in order to have that life right, right. you could argue she's trapped or maybe it's a choice you know again yeah. it's great right totally totally and that's why i think that in the beginning of the film or the first two acts when she is very friendly with carrie mulligan and and inviting her into this world and being very very nice to mm-hmm. her too she knows that, well, Carrie Mulligan wants this, clearly. Design, I mean, yeah, she doesn't know that there's, a, there's, you know, an adulterer who's involved in this. Right. But instead of trying to tell her, no, you can't have this, she's letting her in. And I think that yeah. is, um, you know, whether it's right or wrong, it's something I think that's very realistically believable as an act that this type of character would do. So, yeah, all in all, I think the movie is not only a great coming of age in terms of showing the fact that you might think adulthood is one thing because you do when you're a teenager, you imagine all these things and all this perfect, all this stuff, much like we were talking about with about a boy, you know, Hugh Grant's life, you would assume if you're a 15 year old boy, that's the life that you would want. 
but it's actually not <laughs> what you want, actually. And saying that with Carrie Mulligan imagines, oh, she wants to go to all these nice parties and just be, you mm-hmm. know, um, flit around in this upper class life. And actually, you don't really necessarily want that. Or it's not what's cracked up to be. I think that's more of the the lesson of yeah. Of this or film. if you do, there's more to life. And I think there's a right. great monologue at the very end when she's at Oxford. She's just barking around with like another guy who's her age, mm-hmm. and she sort of is like, you know, I feel wiser. And when this guy that she's presumably dating sort of talks about, oh, I'll take you to Paris, that she sort of kind of acts that I've never been there. I'm excited. So it's almost like she's reclaimed her innocence, but at the same time, there is some wisdom behind that, you know, yeah, you can have these experiences, but you still also have to earn, you know, your life and and you have to go through the path, like you said. So, you know, she's wiser for it. Yeah, it was interesting too. The once I saw the like, this is the first time I saw it. Right at the end, I was a little bit for for actually a couple of days just thinking about the ending and, and thinking it almost seemed to be like too neatly tied up. Yeah, like she messes up, but then she gets everything she wants anyway. Even though, yeah, she did grow a little bit. But I almost was like, well, this is feels weird that she's not. There's something negative doesn't happen to her at the end. But then again, I think the way that that end movie ends, like that model you just talked about, is like, look, there's phases of your life that you know you have and they're over and then you learn from this a new chapter you turn the page and it doesn't necessarily have to be some your whole life is over or now all of a sudden Mm -hmm. she's kicked out of her parents house and punished you know Mm -hmm. by by the by the story and that actually kind of made it sit better with me the more i thought about it so you know what actually this is a it's a nice little fable in a way of someone who grew up too quickly learned her lesson and and now she's just the wiser for it and it's going to have a more fulfilling life moving forward because of those mistakes that she made yeah. but it, definitely when i first ended i'm like this feels like not earned to me i don't i didn't it didn't sit well with me and then as i thought about it more i was like okay actually i like i like this it adds like sort of a an innocence to the film in a way um yeah. that i thought was uh was really great like this movie i thought was fantastic i it's, uh, thanks for putting it on the list or I'm glad you did I should say because it yeah definitely fits the themes also just a great a great film that I'm glad I saw I'm so happy you liked it um yeah on that part to me like that is true to life at least my life because when I had these moments of you know being seduced by people and mm-hmm. maybe not caring about school and such my parents were the same way they supported me through it and then I came out of it and it was a new chapter and guess what? It wasn't like I was totally, you know, better for it forever, forever. No, Mm -hmm. you know, it takes a while. So like you said, like, this is just this chapter. Mm -hmm. Is she going to, you know, dream something else up in Oxford and maybe make a wrong decision or wrong choice? Of course, she will. You Mm -hmm. know, that's just what life is. But we're just getting this slice of her life. And I would love to see a sequel of this movie that what happens to her in Oxford, you know, Mm -hmm. because... It's just what makes us, you know. Right. Some people no. will always want a little bit more, like a little star out there that they want to go and chase. And that comes with a lot of wonderment and adventure, but it also comes with some learning. Right. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I also want to call out because I like when this kind of thing happens, but the, this, the screenplay was written by Nick Hornby. Now, he didn't, it was not his original book. Yeah. But I always find it interesting when artists 
end up on our list more than once, whether they're <laughs> actors or especially when it's writers, it's very interesting. So I, I just liked that uh, that was a happenstance that, you know, about a boy written, co-written screenplay by him, but the base on his book. And now this is one of his screenplays. I think it's also based on a book or a short story that he didn't write, but right. I believe it's not a wholesome original work, but interesting that uh, he shows up twice on this, on this list. That's for us. awesome. Yeah. I think Hornby has coming of age down. Because High Fidelity mm-hmm. also right. is a coming of age movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. A more stunted sort of a stunted adulthood kind of thing, exactly. much like a, a bad a boy. And in a way, this is kind of the opposite. Instead of a stunted adulthood, it's someone going into adulthood too quickly. Exactly. And they, they actually should have been holding back versus the characters in High Fidelity and about a boy. They they needed some growing up still to do, even though they were older. So it's interesting. <laughs> exactly. that he, he can do both. That's pretty cool. He can do both. And, you know, that's the I was going to say a marker of a great movie to your point that all the characters are so well fleshed out. Like I would watch a movie about Alfred Molina and his marriage. I would watch a movie Mm -hmm. about Dominic Cooper and Rosamund Pike and their life because they are stunted adults in their own way. They are your typical Nick Hornby characters Mm -hmm. kind of stuck in their own lives, but still having a good time seemingly. So good. I'm so glad you like this. Yeah, it's a a great (laughs) film. If if (laughs) listeners have not seen this, definitely, definitely check it out. All right. So that was an education. What is your next movie that shaped your coming of age experiences? Yeah. So the next for me is my number one. So my number one film that shaped my coming of age experience is Tarzan, the Disney animated film from 1999. This is directed by Chris Buck and Kevin Lima, starring the voices of Tony Goldwyn, Minnie Driver, Brian Blessed, Glenn Close and Rosie O'Donnell. The plot summary, a man raised by gorillas must decide where he belongs when he discovers he is a human. Much like the title implies, and the summary is, is an adaptation, obviously, of the Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan stories, Disney's version of this. So this is a movie, came out in 99, saw it in theaters. I think this is uh, the last sort of masterpiece of the 90s Disney animation, in my view. Saw it going into my senior year of high school, and it really resonated with me a lot of the themes in this film around what it means to come of age, what Tarzan was dealing with in this film at various points. Uh, something that I was also feeling a, a lot around that time where, you know, you are really trying to figure out who you are, the path that you want to be on versus expectations other people might have of you. And you have to find your place in that world, which is a lot of the things that that Tarzan has mm-hmm. to do in this in this version of the story. So I have a lot more to say on this, but I'm just curious what your experience is with this film. Yeah, I never watched this movie. I'd heard of it you know, as kind of the final movie and that in that Disney Renaissance period of being amazing. And yeah, it totally lived up to that. Like this movie is from on an animation level is just beautiful and incredibly done. Like that whole sequence of when we get introduced to the girl and the hyenas and everybody are attacking, like that is like a master class and animation and just filmmaking in general but yeah the themes of the movie which i'm very excited to hear more about from you are everything about coming of age encapsulated from you know leaving home learning to be an adult falling in love finding Mm -hmm. who you are like all of those things are captured beautifully in the movie and a phil collins score to go with Yeah, which, you know, I think that actually is where I think the the hearts of the, this movie really are in his songs. And I'll say, yeah. like, I'm not a huge Phil Collins fan. No, like, same. Genesis is okay. Like, he's, he's an English rock star for people that are not familiar with Phil Collins. He was in Genesis, which is a big English uh, pop band in the 70s and 80s, and then went off on his solo career. So I wasn't excited for Phil Collins to kind of come in here and, and do a Disney film. But I will say these are some of my favorite songs in any Disney film. And and mm. two of the song sequences, the Son of Man sequence, where mm. it shows him 
kind of growing up and turning him from kid Tarzan to adult Tarzan. Beautiful. And then the uh, strangers like me song as well, where he's sort of the humans come and he's learning all about the world. And it's really captures very well that feeling of, uh, you know, the quest for knowledge and learning new things that you have as a child, where all you want to do is keep learning more and more and more, because that is a way that, you know, I think that is part of coming of age, like learning more about the world. And also that also touches that song too speaks about him falling in love for the first time with with Jane and the and the beauty and how they'd handle the music in this film is the the characters don't sing it's Phil Collins singing and he's either an omnipotent narrator like in Son of Man sort of describing what Tarzan is going through or in Strangers Like Me he's singing as if he was Tarzan's inner monologue mm-hmm. and for me for some reason it hits a lot more in a, this version of a musical where the the, the characters are not singing mm-hmm. it just it feels a lot more emotional to me then because uh, there is that a little bit of like a distance on, on the right. characters and then it feels like this is uh, another character sort of coming in and talking about the themes and what the characters are thinking i just it moves me a lot more you know along with a lot of the the lyrics of what these songs really do talk about how you know you these are all you know especially during the son of man sequence you know that is about you having to go out there on your own to learn these things like no one's really going to teach you you're going out on your own and that's how you're going to discover who you are. Someone can't do that for you, even though in the in the film, you know, Kerchak, who's the gorilla, his, you know, basically adopted father has expectations for him of like who, you know, OK, you know, you're not a, you're not an ape, right? You're a human. And I'm always going to kind of keep a distance from you there. Or if, you know, you you have to then be, you know, take over the ape tribe and you're just one of the apes which is not necessarily something Tarzan wants to do. He's unsure. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my favorite sequences of that song as well is uh, at the end when, uh, you know, he's he's struggling throughout the movie to be a gorilla. And he, slowly in that song, he's, he's finding things that only he can do as a human. Right. He's building a shelter for his mom. He's discovering tools, like all these things that make him an individual and make him Tarzan and not just one of the other gorillas and stand out in a positive way. Because a lot of things is when you're a kid, you want to fit in. I definitely felt that a lot too. Right. Like you don't want to be the different kid. You want to be the kid who fits in with everyone else. And Tarzan struggles with that in this film because he, he he can't fit in. He's not one of the gorillas. Right. But then when you realize is you're not supposed to fit in. I mean, you want to fit in, you you know, right? You want to be part of a society, but it's who you are as an individual. What makes you different is actually your strengths. And in that sequence, I think he learns that. And then the final part of that sequence, there's the the gorilla tribe sort of walking on the, the jungle floor and all of a sudden, Kerchak, who's like his, his father figure who never wants to give him the time of day, he sort of looks up and there's a shadow that shoots across the gorillas. And it's Tarzan who can go further and faster than the gorillas because mm-hmm. he discovered how to swing on vines. And then there's this fantastic, you mentioned the animation, they developed this new technology called Deep Canvas, where it's almost like ah. there's a, the camera can move through the the uh, the 2D art in a way that they'd invented for this film. And then Tarzan just like surfing through the, through the vines and through the trees. It's just, it's so amazing. But again, he's like surpassing the father because he discovered something only he can do, yeah. which is a lot about what it means to grow up. Yeah, it's pretty magical. And I think the the other piece of this is like a lot of coming of age is about kind of leaving home and, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, becoming your own person. And we've touched that theme across our movies. I think this movie also touches upon building a stronger relationship with your home as well. Mm-hmm. All of the moments in the early part of the movie between Tarzan and, and the mother, uh, the gorilla, they're so moving and tender the way she looks at him and the way she protects him and stands up against even her own husband, the gorilla. Mm-hmm. 
Like all of that is also so incredible. And it sort of reaffirms that, at least in my experience, your coming of age and becoming your own person will only be richer if you come from, if you're lucky enough, I suppose, to come from a home that gives you that kind of love and that kind of support, which he has, you Mm -hmm. know? And the two might seem opposite that you're sort of becoming your own person and you're leaving home. But the truth is that can only happen if you were supported and loved, at least in my experience, Mm -hmm. I think. And I think the movie really captures that. No, it it definitely does. There's even some lines in that song I was just talking about around you're finding your place among the people that you love. Yeah. And that's what all, you know, even though you have to take the actions, it's having that support system is what helps you find who you are. And, and I think you're, you're hitting on something too about, you know, him finding his home in the jungle. I mean, a difference that not that I've read the original Tarzan series of, uh, of books, but in the original series, Tarzan does leave and goes back to England. And, and that is a lot of, the author was a, a big, you know, racist guy. So there's a lot of horrible themes in the original books about Englishmen versus natives and all these things like that, which Disney mm-hmm. obviously strips out. But what I love about this version of Tarzan is society is saying you got to go back to England. You know, he puts he realizes his parents are are humans, puts on the suit, is going back and deciding, you know what, my place is actually somewhere else because this is what my genetics are what people saying i need to go back to england i'm an englishman but then at the end he realizes no my home is in the jungle and i actually i do i need to lead this gorilla tribe that's who i am and he decides to stay which is uh, i think even more powerful than the what the original story had with him leaving and the fact that then jane and her father also decide to join him too shows again (laughs) that like they're they love tarzan and it's not about what again, society sort of tells them they have to do. Like Tarzan goes off and he could have made all these choices, but he chooses to stay with his real family and the people that actually do love him, which are the gorillas and his mom. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a whole other level of the movie, I think, of just, as they say, like home is where love is and home is where the heart is. It sounds mm-hmm. kind of corny, but I think it's quite true that you don't have to be necessarily with the people who look like you, who grew up with you or what have you. We are living in a complicated time where on one hand, it's all about inclusivity, but on the other hand, it's also not because right. you're supposed to shut everybody else out and only just be with your own tribe, if you will. Right, And right. that can be true for sure. But I think mm-hmm. in my mind, you always have to look deeper and understand about, okay, what are you actually made of? You know, what, and that support and love can come from anywhere and you got to be open to that. And I think this movie captures that and the story captures that. Yeah, definitely made of not only from like a genetic level, but like who raised like yeah. the gorillas who were raised. That is his culture. That is what he, exactly. he it actually is at home there, even though he thinks he's not in the whole first half of the movie. He's feels out of place. And it's not only once he discovers who he actually is and how he can help his own community by the the, the knowledge and the fact that he's a human. So there's things that he can do that that they can't. I think then he find he finds his place where his home is instead yeah. of having to leave home and finding a new place. And that's a lot of the journey of coming of age and growing up. It's like you're figuring out like, do I where do I belong? Right. And it is with the people that you love. And maybe those are not your home. Like some people don't come from, you know, loving and supportive background mm-hmm. and they find their tribe somewhere else. But what I love about this movie is that Tarzan realizes that he can still be different amongst where he comes from. Really powerful. Really also, powerful. too. I think the uh, there's a reading on this film that you I think it's one of the quote unquote like wettest Disney movies ever made in terms of the sexual tension in this film. You yeah. can read this also as a sexual awakening for yeah. 
for Tarzan and Jane too. I mean, throughout the, she comes into the movie dress in full Victorian garb. And as the movie progresses, she loses more and more of her clothes <laughs> to become freer. And at the end, yeah. she has her little jungle outfit swinging on there with Tarzan. And you can really like the sexual tension between the two in an animated film. I've just never seen anything like that before, which is another part of coming of age too. Like, yeah. you know, that whole awakening that happens as you get older and start falling in love and all that. I think this movie for a G rated animated film, kind of mentions a lot or kind of touches on a lot of those sexual themes, which I also find uh, just unique. And this movie, I still think is uh, just fan- fantastic. And I-, I love this movie a lot. Yeah, I agree. No, that's definitely true. Like right from that whole hyena sequence that we talked about earlier, when he mm-hmm. meets Jane for the first time, like he's protecting her and such, but there's just a lot of like, to me, the frenetic energy and the color explosions and the movement of all of that is also representative of the sexual awakening side of things for, for both of them. And Mm -hmm. and when, when, when the noise sort of calms down, how to sort of check each other out quite literally. Yeah, exactly. Actually. Yeah. Very much in there. So no, (laughs) yeah, they're both looking up each other's skirts at one point. Basically they literally are. Yeah. (laughs) I was not going to say, but that's right. (laughs) Yeah, they are. Yeah. (laughs) No, this is, I, I was very happy to see it. Thank you for putting it on the list as well. Cool. Yeah, and if, if uh, people live in my neighborhood and hear me blasting Phil Collins in my car, that I, <laughs> I hear that music going around, that's <laughs> me blasting uh, strangers like me driving through the neighborhood. I, I just love this soundtrack too so much. <laughs> okay, Karan, I think we're leaving the jungles of Africa. Where are you taking us for your number one film? <laughs> so my number movie that shaped our coming-of-age experiences is Bridesmaids from 2011, directed by Paul Feig, starring Kristen Wiig, Maya Rudolph, Rose Byrne, a bunch of other hilarious people. Quick logline, competition between the maid of honor and a bridesmaid over who is the bride's best friend threatens to upend the life of an out-of-work pastry chef. I guess that's true as a logline, but I think this movie is about so much other stuff than just that. But yeah, I watched this movie when it came out, mm-hmm. you know, it was pitted as this sort of, oh, women can be funny, women can be raunchy and all of that. And it was a huge hit and and all of that is true. And I actually, I laughed a lot uh, uh, in the theater when the movie came out, but I don't think it hit me on any deeper level when I first saw it. I watched it and sort of forgot about it. Mm-hmm. And then... Through like just watching this movie on TV and then ended up buying the DVD and watched and watched it several times over the years following. Of course, the movie is like hilarious and quotable. Like I can probably quote like most of this movie because I've seen it so many times and it's <laughs> yeah. like written so well. But to me, this movie was always about, of course, friendship between Christian Wiig and Maya Rudolph, but really more about that coming of age journey that Christian Wiig goes on, which is that, you know, you're an adult, Mm -hmm. the things that you've invested in and tried relationship, your own business work, what have you have not panned out. And your friends have sort of have or are moving on to a different stage of life and you're stuck behind. Mm -hmm. And what does that do? You know, it is going to rupture friendships is going to bring out the crazy inside of you. And, you have to deal with all that. And and I think that's what this movie has always represented to me, in addition to being really funny and with amazing characters and such. So, so yeah, I'll stop there. But I know you were not a big fan of this movie when you yes. first watched it. So I'm very curious to hear how was it this time around? Yeah, so 
I had seen the movie like like you were saying when it came out in theaters and kind of like I mean I de- I detested it. I I didn't find it <laughs> funny really. It sort of was kind of funny, but I just really disliked that Kristen Wiig's character so much because she does such just awful unforgivable things it was like a hard watch to me mm-hmm. just when i saw it even though yeah obviously yeah it was it was a big hit so i never had thought about coming back to it so this is the first time i've seen it since i saw it in the theater opening weekend and i will say it the the issues that i have with the movie and with her character are definitely still there and especially the scene in the end of the second act where she goes to the bridal shower is still just one of the hardest scenes in a movie for me to watch because of the way that she's acting. But I will say the first uh, act of the movie where it is just basically before all the themes that you're talking about really start kind of coming into play. The first half of the movie or act of the movie where it is just more of just a high concept comedy did work a lot more for me this time. I was like, okay, this is a light sort of light, fun romp with you know great comedians in the movie and a lot of funny funny bits going on but when it still takes that turn it is was hard to stomach and then would bother me the most this time which is it also bothered me a little bit the first time but it was more stark because i did kind of enjoy the first act this time around is that i don't think she gets she needs to be punished in a very very severe way as a character <laughs> and i really don't like how this movie ends i mean talk about consequences she's literally like has zero and everyone at the end of the movie starts apologizing to her for the, for what she did to them. And I think that she did unforgivable acts that in another movie, cause you're right. All these themes that you touched on, I, I want to dig more into them because they definitely are all there and, and relatable too, in terms of that stage in your life where your friends are starting to kind of go their own ways. And there are, you can start to have, you know, comparisons or you look back in your life and then you look at, you know, where their lives are at. And those things are very much part of coming of age for sure. It's if the whole movie was more like that, and maybe the first act wasn't there where it's like, this is more of like a serious dark comedy than a, you know, laugh out loud, raunchy comedy. Then all of a sudden it turns into some like very, very serious movie. And then the end is a ending of like a romantic comedy. It's like the tone issue, which honestly I'm not a Mm. Paul Feig fan at all. And the issue I have with him is typically like the tone just seems off to me and in, in how in the comedies that he directs. And I think even though he didn't write this one, I think this is Kristen Wiig wrote this, right? right? It's still that is the issue for me, like the tone. And, and again, that, that one scene, I think jail time, 20, 30 year sentence she deserves for that. <laughs> I mean, and those people should never talk to her ever again. Uh, there's a scene just so I just to remind the audience, if you've seen the film, where she goes to uh, Maya Rudolph's like bridal shower and basically just ruins the entire thing just because she's so bitter and, and upset. And Maya Rudolph didn't do anything to her. I think she's sort of innocent in this, honestly. They didn't make her into a, a, a villain or even um, the other characters that I played for maybe they're kind of being mean. I'm like, whatever, like it's your problem. Like she has a bad life, Chris and Wig, and is a jerk because of it. And then her life gets worse. And then she gets forgiven at the end. So I think her arc to me just still bothers me. But I will say on this rewatch, the first half of the movie, when it is just that raunchy comedy, did work a lot more than I remember. It actually was laughing at a lot parts of it. John Hamm's incredible in, in his scenes. Yeah, but I'd love to yeah. dive more to these themes because I think you're right in terms of the this movie's a lot more than just the raunchy comedy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can understand. Like, if that sort of was your central issue with the movie, of sort of her character and the fact that she should be punished and what she did was sort of really wrong, which I understand, then 
I don't think the movie will work on you. Like to me, yeah. I I I took it very differently, which is that she is in a bad place, and I think she's ends up with guess what? Like before things start to trend up again towards mm-hmm. the end, she is no job, she's no friends, mm-hmm. she can't pay any of her bills, she's living with a mom. Right. I think enough punishment has has happened and and I think you see that from the beginning right this is a person who not only has been you know dealt like the bad hand like she opens a bakery right before the recession mm-hmm. and she's in a relationship with somebody who then dumps her because the business fails right but even in addition to that like her self-esteem is very low the fact that she is you know having John Ham just be part of her life is so such a low self-esteem place to be at. So Mm -hmm. I think there's enough there for me to then understand that, okay, how does this person just keeps, you know, digging their grave Mm -hmm. uh, by doing worse things. But then it's just not that either because Maya Rudolph has also been kind of seduced by this new life that she's entering. Like they come from a normal background financially Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. class-wise and such. And now she's part of she's getting married to a richer guy who's part of you know this club of mm-hmm. richer people and what have you is a whole class thing that's happening which i think Maya Rudolph is realizing as she's kind of going along and part of her friendship with Rose Burns character Helen mm-hmm. is kind of a representation of that that she's kind of seduced by it and in some ways it's sort of the, the two, Maya Rudolph and Christian, we're kind of going on opposite, you know, journeys, if you will. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is a central clash of it. So, so yeah, I don't, I, I understand what you're saying, but to me, it's obviously heightened reality. Like that scene sure, of the right. viral shower is very uncomfortable. And when I first watched in the theater, I was sort of perplexed by why everybody was laughing because I found yeah. it so yeah. horrible to watch. But I think on subsequent viewings, it's it's it is sort of funny in a dark comedy comedic kind of way, but to me it's still actually the lowest point in someone's life. It's actually quite True. sad and heartbreaking that somebody could go down to those levels that you act out that way, let alone to anybody, but to your friends or to your friend. So I don't know. To me, that generates just empathy that oh my mm-hmm. gosh, this person is in such a bad state. Um and I don't think Maya Rudolph is entirely blameless either. Like, I think she's seduced by this whole thing and kind of goes off on this journey with her rich friend, like who she barely knows, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of betrayal a little bit that, oh, you just met this person and just because they're fancy and rich and they can organize everything that you'll you'll just do this. And, you know, the whole uh, buying of the wedding dress and other 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 bridesmaids dresses famous sort of you know laugh out oh, loud right, right, right. scene like sure it happens but it's not Christian Wiggs fault per se right like sure sure she oh, picked a bad yeah. restaurant but right. that could have happened anywhere but then after that for Maya Rudolph to basically cut her off and say that you know what you're demoted from being a bridesmaid because Helen is just better at doing all of this stuff so you know that's how it's going to be like that's not something you do to your friends. Like you have a conversation with them, but but yeah, you know, without so all I'm saying is that both people are going through their own journeys. Mm-hmm. But from a thematic standpoint, like 
yeah, to me, this movie really is quite touching because this has happened to all of us in some form or the other. Like I remember when, you know, people around me were getting married and having children and what have you. And I was, I'm not on any of that. I wasn't on any of that plane at that time. And I was mm-hmm. like, what's going to happen? Like, and I, I don't think I was, I didn't, you know, explode uh, a giant cookie and act all crazy. Right, That's right. what happens with the bridal shower. But I was not my best self. I definitely said some things which I regret for sure, where I was like, oh, I have to compete with the child now. Like, screw the child. You know, used to spend time talking to me. I want my time. Like, I have said those things. Mm-hmm. I should be slapped for, but I have said those things and I had to deal with some of this. So, you know, people do and say ugly things when they're going through shit. Yeah, no. And I I guess I just have no empathy for Kristen Wiig's character in this movie. I just can't, I just, I, I just can't get there because of how she treats the people that she supposedly loves her best friend. She would, to, to ruin her best friend's like day like that. I mean, I know I'm really hung up on this one scene, I know, but to be so um, selfish, it's an incredibly selfish act that digging yourself out of that in terms of what the story would have to do to allow me as an, uh, as a, as an audience member to forgive her and be like, okay with her coming back into the wedding. And at the end of the movie, they have a little dance number at the end. I just don't find that part earned at all. And it stood out for me even more this time because I knew it was coming. Like the first time I saw the movie, I was so blindsided by that one scene that I just like it colored the rest of the film for me. Um, now this time I could watch the first act and be like, yeah, okay. There's some funny performances in here. Like I can see why people laugh at this, but then it was more stark of like this turn. She just goes back. And, and again, everyone apologizes to Kristen Wiig for how they treated her. And, and she never then she should be the one groveling back to them. I mean, I, I'm glad yeah. I saw it again, just so that I have a, the, it went up in my mind in terms of a, I don't detest the film as much as I used to, but I still just can't get over that character of who Kristen Wiig is in this. Just so selfish and such a little child and doesn't get her come up. It's fine if, or not come up at the moment, earned um, like uh, uh character, like earned ending. The ending didn't feel earned to me because you're right. She does get put through the ringer when she moves back in with her mom. And that's definitely deserved. She gets punished there. But yeah. I just wanted her to apologize in a bigger way to my Rudolph, I guess. Yeah, I but I hear you. But at the same time, you know, this is what lifelong friendship is also about. You know, you do. And I can't say this and I'm not stereotyping this, but I, I know other girls and women in my in my friend circle who've had like these lifelong friendships with Mm -hmm. other girls and they've been through thick and thin and we see a little bit of glimpses of that in the early parts of the movie when they're at brunch and eating and the way Maya Rudolph sort of tells her that you know you're a catch and any guy would be psyched to be with you and Mm -hmm. you know we don't need dental work and all of that it's such a great moment that whole brunch scene you really see that these people, they've known each other their entire life, you know? So that's where the forgiveness comes from. And is it all going to be totally fine? Are they going to be the way they used to be? Probably not, because this experience was jolting for both of them. And guess what? Maya is going to be in a different circle anyway, entirely. Mm-hmm. And Christian is going to have to find a new life, basically. Right, so it's right. not going to be the same. And there is something about the way Maya then takes off 
you know, after the wedding in the car, there's just a look between the two of them. There isn't some like big breaking down hug that, oh, you came and, you know, you fixed my dress and you made the wedding okay or any of that. No, there isn't that because she's moving on. And Christian also is sort of moving on a little bit. So I, to me, I, I get like it feels a little bit more of a celebration than it is, but I think there's more nuance there, at least in my mm, mind. I see. Yeah. I, maybe just the line she walked off of or walked over that I would never have let yeah. her in my wedding if I was my Rudolph and take years to patch that up, no matter how long yeah. that friend, like that to me was just like, a, you don't do that. It's, you don't do that, but um, I'm, I guess, more forgiving. And yeah, way, I guess so. so. I would, I would be okay. I mean, it's just a bridal shower, you know, whatever. Ultimately, what matters to me is, are you okay? Am I okay? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a party. That's how I think about it. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad that you, I made you watch this movie again. I never would have. Yeah. In my life, I thought I wasn't going to ever see it again. So yeah, you get it. It went up in my mind. Like I said, it's, it's no longer like a, a zero star movie for me. So. And if you're around Alex, do not punch his giant cookie. That's right. Yes. (laughs) That's the lesson of this episode. That's the of this episode. Yeah. If I invite (laughs) you to my bridal shower, do not smash my cookie up because I will never anywhere, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's uh, talk about any films that uh, didn't make it. I know you said it was a big episode. I have a lot of films on my list. Like, what were the ones that you had on yours? Yeah, so quite a few that uh, we've covered in the past, or I've covered in the past on the podcast. So Brooklyn, Lady Bird, Wake Up Sid, but then also everybody wants some, like I really wanted a Richard Linklater movie, but it just fell off because these other movies that I ended up picking just have meant a little bit more to me. And I came to Linklater movies a little bit late in life. So, mm-hmm. uh, and also Billy Elliot. Oh, Billy Elliot. That's a fun movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a couple Spider-Man films, uh, the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man and then Into the mm-hmm. Spider-Verse, High Fidelity, which we already talked about, Crossroads, which we already talked about, The Fablemans, Dead Poet Society, which we already talked about, right? and, and then uh, Eighth Grade and Thirteen, which are two teen movies that I that I really, really love. Liked. Eighth Grade. Me too. Eighth Grade. I almost put on the list, honestly. It was, that was Me the one too. that was I actually forgot about that as an honorable mention. Yeah. And Fablemans, I didn't because it was in my top three. So we talked about it oh, very recently. We did, but yeah. that is sort of like a perfect coming of age movie in my mind. Okay. So we already talked about next week. We'll be back for exploration on Hugh Grant. And then after that, Karan, what uh, what do we have coming up after the Hugh Grant episode? What are we tackling next? Yeah, so we are talking about sort of coming of age and going into work. So we're going to talk about movies that shaped our work ethic. We hope you enjoyed this discussion and it brought up memories of coming of age from childhood or now or whenever. We are, as always, we are available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube, where you can find our reviews for each of our movies that we cover. Please rate and review us and don't forget to subscribe as, as all of this really helps listeners find us. See you all soon. Goodbye. Help me, I'm poor. <laughs> <laughs>